So we're, we're in a, a series uh, called The Values of Successful People. And uh, the reason why we're doing this series is because it's important for us to join arm in arm and walk together as a church. And uh, just like we just did. And it, it says in Acts 4, it talks about the church a little, and I'd like to share it with you. It says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were of one heart and one mind. That's a phrase that we use a lot here at the adventure. One heart and one mind. When we're in unity, when we're in love together, amazing things can happen. That's God's plan. And I want to use just a, a short example before we get to the sermon. This is really just kind of an introduction about how disunity destroys. And, and that's looking at a group of people from a long time ago. They were really excited and thought that they, they really had it together. And so they decided to build this tower. And it was called the Tower of Babel. And they built it tall. And it was, it was going to be the thing that made them famous all over the world. And God saw that. And he was worried for them because... They were so prideful, and pride is so destructive in lives. And so he decided that he was going to stop them. He didn't stop them with a lightning bolt. He didn't stop them with an army. He stopped them with confusion and disunity. Disunity. That's how he stopped them, and it was stopped. And so now, as the Church of Christ, we are actually being brought back together in unity by the fact that there is one body and one spirit. Amen? That's what the word says. And so in that unity, God can do great things. But we have to have that unity. One way to have it is for us to understand and walk in the values that we have. Now, the values that we've spoken about already in this series were grow your life, impact your world, and live God's dream. Those are the things that are up on our, on our posters and in Spanish as well and out, out in the hallway and out in the base camp room. These are not just slogans. We think this is how you grow as a Christian. You would grow your life. You would be abiding in the vine. Jesus being the vine, you being the branch. That you would abide in him. That you would be attached to him at all times. So that the lifeblood of Jesus Christ, the word of God, the love of God, the living water would flow into you as well. We need to grow our life in our quiet times and, and in all kinds of study of the word of God. Worship. Quiet time. And then we need to impact our world. And we do that in so many ways here at the church. We have food for the soul that feeds the homeless. We have Jesus feeds that feeds those that are in need in our, in our community here locally. We have churches that we have planted in Idaho, adventure churches that are in Idaho, and a campus in American Fork. And we have the Philippine ad adventure churches as well, five of them. It's five now. It's going to be eight soon. So we have all these things that we are doing to impact the world. And how many of you know that you are the prime catalyst for impacting the world, right? Yes? You are it. Your world. You are the best insider in reaching people in your world. 
you're it. It's not me. It's not Jody. It's not your friend who has a great personality. It's you with your personality. That's why your world is around you. God has placed you there for that very purpose. It's not a mistake. And then the last part is that we would live our dream, live God's dream for our lives. And that is such a unique, special part of who we are as a church. And it's just exhibited in, in just so many ways as people discover their giftings through base camp and through... Um, and, and discover their design through Blueprint and uh, a, a workshop that we'll ha- be having soon and probably in the fall again. And all these different ways for you to find out how to become all that God has called you to be in this world. Not so that you could be the slave, but that you could be fulfilled doing everything that you were called to do. You know what I mean? It's great to do what God's called you to do. It, it, it's like this amazing path that he's led you on that now you go, wow, this is what it's about. And I don't know, just in facilitating base camp, I've seen so many people discover where they're supposed to be and go in it and flourish like they've never flourished before. I'm just looking at you, some of you right now and saying, that's it, that's it. Look at these guys right here. They're flourishing. Yep. It's a lot of, lot of people that are flourishing because they're discovering who they are in Christ. So today we're going to be talking about the finished work of the cross. The finished work of the cross. It says in 1 Corinthians, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message of what? The cross The cross is a place of of offense and a place of foolishness to those who have not been changed by it. The cross for many people is is just a decoration around their neck or on the wall. The cross for many people is just an icon that they might worship, kind of like an idol. It's something, it has, the the physical thing has, has, has more meaning than what happened on it when Christ died on it. Or the cross can represent this fable that took place 2,000 years ago. That is just a story for many people in our, in our culture. It's foolishness for those who are perishing. But for those who are being saved, it is the power of God. The power of God. So I'd like to just pray right now and just invite God to speak to us. Because I believe God wants to speak in this power to us today. I would venture to say that everyone in this room has heard of the finished work of the cross. But I should also venture to say that all of us would benefit from a greater, deeper understanding, not just in our head, but in our lifestyle, in our souls, an understanding of that to change us and grow us. Amen? So can we pray? Lord, we just give this to you. We invite you right now to come to touch us, to move in our souls. We know about the cross. We've heard about the cross. We've sung about the cross. We've read about the cross. We've heard sermons on the cross. And yet today, we are speaking about the finished work of the cross. And today, the Bible says, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. Listen to God today. And so we want to open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. This is Jesus on the cross. Here he is. He's gone through the trial. He's gone through the flogging. He's gone through the crown of thorns and being spat on. He's gone through the walk to Golgotha. He was nailed to the cross. His disciples left him. Israel shouted, crucify. And here he hung. And then towards the end, it says, later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Three things happened in these final moments in Jesus' life that I think is important to understand when we talk about the finished work of the cross. The first thing is, that scripture was fulfilled. That scripture would be fulfilled. This was written by divine inspiration. It placed in the word of God for this very purpose that we would understand 2,000 years later that when Jesus died on the cross, scripture was fulfilled. What does it mean that scripture is fulfilled? Well, it's not like calling up for your car and they say it's going to be an hour and they get it done 15 minutes late. That's not it. When scripture is fulfilled, every jot and tittle, the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. Everything is accomplished. The Old Testament prophets, if they did not get it all right, they were stoned. And I'm not talking about marijuana. They were stoned to death. And then they were sent to Colorado. (laughs) They were stoned to death. So this is a big deal. When scripture is being fulfilled, we are not talking about even a legal contract. A legal contract, you can can break it and then they'll take you to court and who knows what's going to happen. You don't have to keep your word. In America, you don't. You just break your contract and see what happens. Take your, take your chances. If, see if the guy who's on the other opposing side has less money than you do to sue them, right? But with God, when scripture is being fulfilled, it is the promises of God. For no matter how many promises the word says, God has made, they are yes In Christ Jesus. And so through him the amen is spoken to us by the glory of God. The promises of God are for us. And they are immovable. And when we look at the finished work of the cross. What we see are the promises of God being accomplished in a very radical way. When I was a young Christian, they had little promise boxes. Anybody know what those are? 
Oh, you're old. <laughs> Promise boxes are these little rickety plastic loafs. And in the loaf is little cards with all the scriptures that are promises in the Bible. And when I was a young Christian, I used to love to read these because you, you hang on to them in trials. You hang on to them in difficult times, in times of doubt. When we talk about prophecy being fulfilled, and we talk about the promises of God being fulfilled, Jesus is saying, and what is happening that the scripture may be fulfilled happened 30 times on this one day. There are dozens and dozens of prophecies concerning Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the savior. But on this day, this one day, 30, one after another, one after another, were being fulfilled promises of God that we could grab hold of and know for certainty that God is affirming the finished work of the cross. Look at these prophecies. I'm going to show you some of them. I'm not going to go through all of them. There's a lot. He was betrayed by a friend in Psalms. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Judas was accused by false witnesses, silent before his accusers. He was wounded and bruised. He was smitten and spit upon. Those are the words used in the scripture. We're talking about scripture hundreds of years before Jesus came, promising that the Messiah would come and this is what would happen. And Jesus fulfilled it. There is no one else that has fulfilled these promises. 30 of them, just one after another. His hands and feet were pierced. He was crucified with thieves. You can't manipulate that, folks. He can't say, well, I'd like my reservation for crucifixion be between this thief and this thief because I want to try and really fulfill this prophecy. That's just not going to happen, right? He was crucified with thieves. His friends rejected him. His garments were taken off and lots were cast for them. Gall and vinegar were offered to him to drink. We just read that. His bones were not broken. That is an anomaly when it comes to crucifixion. The legs are always broken at the end of a crucifixion. Jesus' bones were not broken. His side was pierced. Another thing that is unusual. That usually doesn't happen. But it did happen for Jesus. And he was buried in a rich man's tomb. Can't plan that. I have a reservation for this rich man's tomb. <laughs> you know how this affects me as a Jew? I have to tell you. As a Jew, I look at the thousands of years of history and promises of God, and then I see that God himself affirmed time and time and time again. The cross is my answer. The cross is a finished work. Jesus is the Messiah. And it changed my life. And let me tell you, I needed a firm convincing. I did because as a Jew, I knew that me doing this was going to seem like a gigantic betrayal to my family. And so I struggled with it. But I was overwhelmed by the prophecies of God fulfilled in Christ. That scripture would be fulfilled. What does it say when scripture is fulfilled? It affirms over and over again that the cross is God's way. 
that Jesus is the Christ. It affirms that. What else does it affirm? It affirms that if God has the power to fulfill these prophecies, you guys, if God has the power to to fulfill these prophecies, he is the master of history. He is the Lord over time and space. He is sovereign over all and powerful beyond measure. If he has the power to fulfill these prophecies, does he not have the power to fulfill his promises to you? Isn't that awesome? The promise of salvation first and the promise of an amazing life that he has called you to. And I'm not talking about just a fun life. Go to Disneyland if you want fun. If you want to follow Christ, know that it's going to be the most dynamic, challenging, most wonderful, fulfilling experience that you had. And half the time you're going to be screaming like you're on a roller coaster. Right? But you know that the cross is finished in your life. Next is, when Jesus was saying these words, he said, it is finished. He declared that the cross is eternally effective in your life. It is finished. It is finished. In the Greek, this word is tetelestai. And it means it's finished. That's good. But it doesn't stop there. Because the Greek is very expressive. And really, the Greek shoves in about eight or ten words for every word that we have in English. Right? You know that about the Greek. And, and, and this is what it is finished means. It means it is finished. It stands finished. And it always will be finished. That's what it is finished means. It always will be finished. It stands finished for eternity. Isn't that wonderful? This word was used in everyday life in the time of Jesus. Everyone knew what this word meant. Some of the examples of using this word would be a servant to his master. I've completed the work you gave me. Like Jesus said in John seventeen four. Or when a priest would examine a sacrificial animal and deem it perfect, he would say, it is finished. It is finished. And Jesus was without spot or blemish, as spoken of in 1 Peter. Or as an artist finishes a picture, he would say, it is finished. Just like Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus, uh, God finishing the picture that through all history spoke of his love and his plan of redemption in our lives. But probably the best example of this would be a merchant who if you bought something and let's say you bought it on credit, we don't like credit, do we? In America, we love credit, right? You bought it on credit, but when it was paid, the merchant would say, it is finished, paid in full. Your debt is paid in full. 
None of the Old Testament sacrifices would forgive sin. They covered sin. That's what the Bible says. But they don't forgive sin. But Jesus, when he said, it is finished, he was saying, your sin and my sin is paid in full. There is no debt, no debt anymore. Is that amazing? And the words of John the Baptist ring so very true. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Doesn't cover the sins. Doesn't manipulate you to figure out how you won't sin. Slap you across the side of the head and say, okay, stop sinning. No. Takes away the sins of the world. Takes away yours and my sins. What great news it is, you guys. The gospel is good news on purpose because there is nothing like it. It is the most wonderful, most beautiful words to hear that your sins are forgiven. God's perfect justice has to be satisfied. It is legally binding what Jesus did. You have to understand the Day of Atonement, you guys. The Day of Atonement is the one time in the year when the high priest, instead of just sacrificing out in the holy place, of which he did every day, day in and day out, every week, week in and week out, every new moon, new moon, in and out, He would go in one time a year in the Holy of Holies. Before he did that, he would take off his clothes. He would ceremonially wash. He would be anointed. He would put on fresh white linen, a tunic. And he would walk into this room called the Holy of Holies that only one person could go in one time a year. And he would walk into it. And there he would see before himself the ark of God covered in gold with the cherubim above covering the ark. And below the cherubim, right on top of the ark, would be the solid gold mercy seat. Solid gold represents the holiness of God. And so this picture is that the high priest would come in and bring that sacrifice and take that blood and place it on the mercy seat of God one time a year. That's what would happen. It was the highest point in the sacrificial system that pointed us to Jesus Christ. This is what it says in 1 John. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So right now, what this scripture is saying is that Jesus and his blood shed on the cross has something to do with that atoning moment that takes place on the mercy seat. This is the example that is given throughout scripture. 
and the promise that we have about the finished work of the cross. We focus a lot on God's love. God is perfectly loving. And you think, well, God's so much so loving. Why does he like punish us and stuff like that? Because God is also perfectly just. And so God, in his perfection and in his holiness, love and justice needs to satisfy both. For the wages of sin is death. And we are all legally in big trouble because of this, aren't we? But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. God can't just say, Okay, you sinned, but I love you. Go ahead. He just can't do that because he is perfectly just. And so we have a scripture that explains that. In Romans chapter three, it says, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. Again, referring to that amazing place in the ark on the mercy seat. Through faith in his blood, he did this to demonstrate his justice. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies. Is that cool or what? God said there is no one that could save these people, so I will bear the burden. There is no one who could do it, so I will be the atonement. It will be my blood shed so that people could have forgiveness of sins. You have to understand the comparison, and it's going to be in this next scripture here. But when you talk about the physical ark, you, you know that it talks about that it's only a shadow. That's what it says in our beginning scripture here. In this next scripture, I think I'll, I'll turn to it. The law is only a shadow of the good things to come. The understanding here is that everything that we see on earth is uh, regarding the temple, regarding the sacrifice, regarding all the, uh, the ark and the holy of holies. That is only a shadow. It's only a little of what's in heaven. It's only a little of it. It only kind of gives us an idea. And so in this scripture in Hebrews, we are seeing a comparison between what's here on earth and what's happening here, teaching us what's really happening over here through the cross of Christ. Okay? Got it? Yep. Okay, good. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, never, by the same sacrifices repeatedly, repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. These sacrifices can never do it. So what are we to do? The Bible says that the law is a tutor to lead us to Christ. And so this is what it's teaching us. Oh my goodness, our sins are ever before us. We need to resolve it. Verse two, if it could, would they not have stopped being offered? Doesn't it make sense that if the sacrifice worked, it would be over? But it didn't. 
It was a constant reminder, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. You know, if that priest didn't go into that Holy of Holies in exactly the right way, they had a remedy for that. They had a rope that was tied to his leg and a bell. If the bell stopped ringing because he wasn't moving around anymore, they assumed him dead and they pulled him out because of the judgment of God because he wasn't holy enough. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then he said, here I am. It's written about me in the scroll. How come? I've come to do your will, O God. So first he said, sacrifices and offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law demanded it. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. These sacrifices were never done in the proper way. And so God was never satisfied with them. They never were meant to forgive sins. They were meant to cover sins and to proclaim the cross of Christ. So when Christ came, he said, here I am. It's talked about me in the book. This is it. I am the sacrifice that takes away the sins of the world. And so he sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have seen many made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. Doesn't it sound like religion? Doesn't it? Ah. I know we we talk about religion is not the way, but I must say the reason why we do it so often, talk about it so often, is because it's ingrained in us that we need to be doing things day after day to make God happy with us. Get over it. It's the finished work of the cross. Be free to experience what God has for you in the cross. And then it says, verse 12, but when this priest, who's that? Jesus. When Jesus had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And he said once again, sitting down, this is a signal. I am done. The work is done. Forgiveness is offered. And I am finished. Amen? Amen. That's what it said. When someone sits down at the right hand of God, it means the work is done. And the work is done for each one of us. It is the finished work of the cross. It is done. And all we have to do is to accept it. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect for those who are being made holy. This is a great picture, you guys. You know, I don't know how you see God, but when God sees you, he looks. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he sees a perfect being because the blood of Jesus Christ is covering you. 
and me. You are perfect in his eyes. And yet, it says, for those who are being made holy. So the, the context is, is that we are holy before God, but he is also working into us holiness throughout our life. But any judgment that we would have has already been off the table. There is no judgment anymore because we are holy in his eyes. Come on, that deserves an amen. amen. And then, then in verse 17, it says, their sins and lawless acts. I will remember no more. Come on, that is incredible. My sins would, would fill this entire screen a hundred times over. At least two Two times? Oh, 200 times. Thank you, Rob. Gosh. Ushers, escort him out. And then, then it says there is no longer any sacrifice for sins. Why? Because sins can't be forgiven? No, because sins are already forgiven. Jesus Christ has already accomplished what he did on the cross. It's a finished work, you guys. A finished work. Do you live your life wondering how I'm doing with God? I know there's a lot of people out there. I struggle with it sometimes. And I've been a Christian 40 years. How am I doing with God? Does God approve of me? How's my salvation doing? You know what? Your salvation's just fine. Because Jesus said it is finished. Not because of anything you've done, right? All you've done is believed. But because Jesus said, it is finished. The last thing that happened on the cross here that we want to look at is that this has been given to us. Given to us. He gave up his spirit. This is a voluntary thing. This is not something Jesus was surprised by. Uh Uh-oh, my promo campaign didn't work and now things have gotten a little too far and oops, I'm being crucified. That, that is not it. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. He offered himself. And that's what it says in Hebrews 9. It says, how much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. And he gave his one and only son. He did, right? Isn't that what it says? And I love this about what Jesus says in John 10. The reason why my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Jesus voluntarily said, not my will, but yours, Lord. Not my will, but yours. I give it voluntarily because I love. I love. Romans 5 says this. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... We didn't have to clean ourselves up. 
We didn't have to get our act together. We didn't have to put on our suit, put on our little happy face. Nothing while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? You guys, the work of the cross is finished. Legally, the promises of God have been fulfilled over 30 in that last day and dozens and dozens more throughout Jesus' ministry to affirm all to go to the cross of Christ and affirm that this cross, not that cross, the cross that Christ was on and what he did accomplishes in your heart and your life what you need it to do and what I need it to do. And that is we would have forgiveness of sins. We would never have to worry. We would always have the security of knowing that it was by the cross And not by our works that we are saved. It is a gift of God. Not by works so no man could boast. Max Lucado. I always say his name wrong. He, He writes about it is finished. It is finished. The long history long plan of redeeming man was finished. The message of God to man was finished. The works done by Jesus as a man on earth were finished. The task of selecting and training ambassadors was finished. The job was finished. The song had been sung. The blood had been poured. The sacrifice had been made. The sting of death had been removed. It was over. Over. That's our life, you guys. It is an amazing life. I took this out of Chase's office. I don't know what he uses it for with youth. You can all ask him later. But this is the way a lot of us see God. With this bat, with this type of a bat. Well, maybe not this bad, but a bad. Ready to hit us. Ready to say, you see, you don't deserve it. But that is so not true. Because of the cross, there is no bat. There is no bat. We are free. We are set free to love God and have no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen.